I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, January 17th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, roads are expected to be slick following last night's low temperatures. Then, Governor Tate Reeves is calling a special session of the legislature to pass a major economic development project. Plus, an author shares how food plays a role in politics and the Mississippi Civil Rights Movement. Ahead of History is Lunch today. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Temperatures dropped into the single digits last night, and several cities in the northern part of the state felt like it was sub-zero because of the wind chill. The severe cold is expected to begin lifting this afternoon, though it will take time to melt icy-covered roads. Joining us by phone this morning, David Kinney, spokesperson with the Mississippi Department of Transportation. Good morning, David. Good morning. Thank you for making time for us. Thank you for having us. We're really excited about uh, what today brings as far as clearing the roads here in uh, in Mississippi. We had ice, if you could believe it, from uh, the Tennessee state line down to the coast in all of except seven Mississippi counties. So our crews spent the day yesterday salting and slagging, mainly bridges where that ice had formed. And overnight we expected more ice to form, so today... Our crews are out uh, salting and slagging, but I'm happy to report that, you know, all the interstate and highway systems in Mississippi are open uh, for travel. You probably saw people commuting to work today, um, probably after having the day off yesterday because the weather was so bad. But we're hoping that our, our winter weather efforts are winding down today and the sun will come out and help melt some of this ice away. Yeah, because yesterday the road conditions were awful. I was on Lakeland Drive going like 15, maybe 20 miles per hour, and I will admit I did go through a red light because at the pace I was going, I could not brake or I would have slid. And at the lights, even when you pumped the brake, you were still sliding a little bit. So it was treacherous out there. So I'm glad that the roads, and I'm sure everyone is glad that the roads are going to be clearing up. Now, you did tell folks to stay off the roads. Well, I had to be at work, but 
There were other people we saw in video covered by news outlets that were sliding all over the place yesterday. Yes, there was uh, a lot of ice on the roads. That's why we recommended people only come out in uh, in case of an emergency. Um, drive, uh, Mississippians, we're just not used to driving on snowy or icy surfaces. So it's just something that we didn't recommend. And we found out that it all it takes is just a glaze of that uh, freezing rain to create a surface on the road uh, good enough to make you slide, just like you did through that intersection. So even today, if people get out, we tell them, take it uh, slow. There's going to be patches of ice in places, and uh, we just want people to be safe. With ice melting and ice also still on the road in some spots, what should people be looking for? Is there anything that would, you know, alert them, hey, this is be careful territory? Yeah, anything wet, um, any wet areas um, that they know of, um, maybe from the day before it was wet, maybe this morning it's going to be ice. So um, it really, uh, some of this might be black ice, which is really a transparent layer of ice that you can't see on the roads. Um, that can be very dangerous. So people just need to uh, go slow uh, today and especially um, you know, even tonight, if we get down into freezing temperatures again, we could see refreezing. Oh, no, that's not good. Mm. Well, have there been any reports of accidents? You had mentioned previously that there were some people stuck on the side of the road for hours. Yes, yeah, we we did have some uh, accidents on I-20 uh, at the Brandon exit where uh, traffic was stopped. Uh, delayed. Hopefully those people were able to move on maybe after a couple hours, but uh, it was something we we obviously wanted to avoid. Um, but, you know, traffic is moving now, so it looks good. Uh, the Most of the surfaces are dry today. Just might be a few patchy spots of ice we want people to be aware of. What about in the northern part of the state, which got hit hard with snow and sleet? And freezing. Yes. Uh, efforts up there today, uh, they said their their crews are out uh, salting and slagging. Uh, there are, you know, obviously they had about four to six inches of snow. So their situation there, very different from what we had here. Um, yesterday, the sun did assist in helping in melting some of that snow. So today they're hoping that they can get out and uh, plow some, uh, some of these uh Uh, lanes up there that weren't uh, cleared, I guess, by traffic that was moving through on top of it already. So uh, roads are open in uh, North Mississippi also, but, you know, all over we ask people to take it easy, take it slow. There could be patches of ice out there, and you don't want to hit it and lose control. Well, I tell you, I saw pickup trucks, SUVs flying by me, literally. I don't know how they weren't sliding, but they didn't. I mean, straight line down the road. But MDOT has traffic cams. Is that any benefit to drivers to check those out on your website? I think it is. Um, Even if they're uh, just not looking at the cameras, you can see the map on the app, and you can see if there's any tie-ups. Uh, on the route you plan to take. So we always uh, encourage people to download the uh, MDOT traffic app because um, it can really be a, a, an aid to you 
especially in inclement weather. All right. David Kenny with the Mississippi Department of Transportation. Thank you so much for this important update. Thank you. Coming up, Governor Tate Reeves is calling a special session of the legislature for a major economic development project. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Money Talks, we discuss money news and take your questions about personal finance. For 15 years, we've provided free financial information for Mississippians. I hope you can join me, Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, co-host of Money Talks, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. or anytime on our podcast. Connect with the people looking to connect with you. Become an underwriter with Mississippi Public Broadcasting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash more slash underwriting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Governor Tate Reeves is calling a special session of the legislature for what he says will be the state's second largest economic development project ever. He's asking lawmakers to appropriate $350 million in state funds for the development of an electric vehicle battery factory. Reeves says these funds will be used to build up infrastructure for the site, which is in Marshall County. This project will be an over $1.9 billion capital investment in Marshall County, and it will create 2,000 new jobs. Let me say this one more time. $1.9 billion capital investment by the companies and 2,000 jobs. This will be the second largest capital investment in our entire state's history. When it comes to CapEx, it will be the largest economic development deal in state history if you look at it on a payroll basis. 2,000 jobs at an average salary of $66,000 per job comes out to $132 million annual payroll for this company once fully um, completed. Just to put that in perspective for you, the single largest capital investment that's ever been made in our state happened to be 15 months ago uh, when all of us worked together to get that done in in the Golden Triangle. That was a $93 million payroll. Um, And so, uh, again, this is about 40% larger even than that Steel Dynamics project when it comes to average payroll. Again, this is a massive win for the state of Mississippi. Reeves was unable to disclose many details about the plan, including what company was promising to come to Mississippi. But reportedly, it is the company Dakar and two truck holding firms. The 2024 legislative session is underway, but he says a special session will allow for suspending certain rules so that legislators can expedite this project. The governor's office claims the session could last as little as one day. What is unclear at this time is the allowances Mississippi will grant the company in terms of tax benefits. Our Will Stribling speaks with Senate Minority Leader Democrat Derek Simmons of Greenville about the proposal. Well, you know, we've had large announcements before and the public dollars of the taxpayers of the state of Mississippi Uh, Those dollars have been used for economic development projects before, and it's just my hope that we get a great return on our investment. 
uh, I've always supported economic development projects, and this will be no different. I am a little hesitant about the promises every time we have an economic development project, the promises that are made and the promises that are kept to the state of Mississippi. That is always a concern. The governor said that that assurances will be made in the, the contract, and you, you would hope that that would be the case when the state's, you know, looking to give spend $500 million and infrastructure improvements and then, you know, appropriations to, to the company through subsidies or tax breaks. What promises would you like to be set in stone there? Well, cer- certainly any time we're going to spend uh, that amount of money, I want to make sure that the promises are made regarding the jobs. We certainly need the jobs in the state of Mississippi. We don't want economic development going to other states, uh, but we don't want Mississippi to be the place where people come in get our public dollars and uh, after a period of time that they don't make the, may, uh, keep their promises, then of course they go belly up and they leave us and they leave us basically having spent our uh, public dollars with them and they go elsewhere. And so that's always a concern. So when you talk about creating uh, jobs and you're talking about uh, uh, a certain amount of level of, of the money you're going to pay per job. Uh, we expect those promises to be kept because we want to do everything we can to improve the quantity and quality of life of, of, of Mississippians. And, and, and so uh, I'm, I'm in full support of economic development. Uh, but I will say this, Will, that here again, there is another economic development project uh, east of Highway 55. And until we can get leadership in this state and also the Mississippi Development Authority to start uh, being very intentional in investments west of Highway 55, uh, we're going to always get what we get. Uh, Mississippi is going to stay at the bottom. We need to move Mississippi up by improving all parts of the state of Mississippi. This is coming to Marshall County, right next to DeSoto County, and you represent a district in the Mississippi Delta. So what do you think about that these opportunities keep coming to wider and more affluent areas of the state when people looking for opportunities in the area state like the one you represent are really like their options are to, to move away or take the, the few and, and often low-paying jobs that are available for them at home? Well, it's no secret that economic development in the state of Mississippi is sent to the areas of the state where you have constant investment over a period of time. And it has been clear that the state of Mississippi from this current administration, prior administration have always invested in infrastructure and invested in economic development projects uh, in areas of the state that you see these companies being attracted to. If we start investing in west of highway 55 regarding infrastructure regarding uh industrial parks uh areas that will make companies look at uh areas in the delta areas west of 55 they'll go to those areas if we had leaders of the mississippi development authority that 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 were intentional in investing in this part of the state companies will start coming uh, to this part of the state, and MDA directors would direct companies to come to this part of the state. But we have not seen that, and I will say to you, it is by no accident. It is intentional. Economic development in the state of Mississippi and where it goes is intentional. And we could actually change courses, and we could put public dollars, 
state dollars like we've done in other parts of the state in the Delta, Southwest Mississippi, areas west of 55, and we can grow those areas if we wanted to. That's Senate Minority Leader Democrat Derek Simmons of Greenville. Coming up, an author shares how food plays a role in politics and the Mississippi Civil Rights Movement. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Want to keep up with MPB? Go to mpbonline.org. Or you can find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MPB Online. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Food has always been an important facet in Mississippi. It drives culture, social interactions, and even politics. In a new book titled Food, Power, Politics, author Bobby J. Smith delves into how food became an important part of the civil rights movement in Mississippi and also way before that period of time. He's speaking at today's History is Lunch event at the two Mississippi museums in Jackson. Smith tells our Kobe Vance how food can be used as a tool to help political movements or crush them. Oftentimes when people see food power politics, it's not only the title of my book, it's also a theoretical framework that I created or a lens that I created for us to see the way in which food has been used in different ways across not only African-American life, but also across the world in general. So food power politics um, is defined as this, this framework where we're able to see the ways in which food can be used as a weapon against communities, but also it captures the ways in which food can then be used by communities as a way to counter weaponize it. The term food power by itself is a term that legal scholars, historians, and political scientists use as a way to describe during times of conflict, particularly international conflict, how food is used as a weapon against another nation. So one nation uses food as a weapon against another nation as a way to to mitigate the impact of the conflict. So I use this framework of food power as a way to study study the ways in which food has been used as a weapon in African-American life. But what I soon learned when I look at the ways that food has been used as a weapon against African-Americans, I realized that the ways in which historians and political scholars and scientists use the term food power, they don't capture the ways in which those who are being enacted upon respond. So what I ended up doing was I developed this concept known as emancipatory food power as a way to capture how those communities that are being oppressed by this form of food weaponization end up using food also in response to that in emancipatory ways. So food power politics captures this struggle between those who are in power and those who are not in power, essentially. From your research, do you have any examples of ways that food was used in Mississippi to either suppress or to promote the civil rights movement? Yes. So I use this larger concept as a way to study the Mississippi civil rights movement and look at it beyond regular issues of voting rights, issues of education or issues of segregation and things of that nature. So one example, or so chapter one of my book, I talk about an event known as the Greenwood Food Blockade that happened in LaFleur County. So the Greenwood Food Blockade was this moment in 1962 through 1963 where the LaFleur County Board of Supervisors dismantled a federal food program in response to rising voter registration efforts in Greenwood, Mississippi. 
So they dismantled this program in direct conflict with the civil rights movement as a way to deter those communities that depended on the federal food program from actually participating in voter registration efforts. Those who were mostly those people who were recipients of the federal food program, which is known as the Federal Surplus Commodities Food Program, what we refer to as government cheese or government peanut butter or government foods, those were the kinds of foods that were given out through the federal food program at the time in 1962 in Greenwood, Mississippi. But it was given mostly to those who were sharecroppers, those who were tenant farmers, those who worked the land. And those were the ones at the time who were being organized by the civil rights activists in the Mississippi Delta. The LaFleur County Board of Supervisors dismantled this federal food program, again, as a way to suppress the vote or as a way to deter people from actually participating in voter, voter registration efforts. And in response to that, activists in those same communities organized what was known as a Food for Freedom program, which was a state national food program that food program slash pipeline that brought food into the Mississippi Delta as a way to feed those communities that could no longer depend on federal food programs to feed them, particularly during the winter time when there was no cotton crop in the ground. So that's one of the biggest examples where you see food power politics play out on both sides. And that's what I do in chapter one of my book. But then through the the the, the following chapters after that I particularly take different sides of thinking about each side of this idea of food power politics. How impactful do you think these food power politics were in Mississippi, a state where food is arguably just such a huge factor of life and culture? The thing about thinking about food power politics is it, it invites us into a conversation of thinking about food beyond the plate, thinking about food beyond grocery stores or beyond the, the cultural impacts of food. Many times when we think about food, particularly in Mississippi and also across the South, we don't think about the ways in which food can then be transformed into a weapon. And what happens when food is used as a weapon is that it, it forces particularly communities to then think about how can we provide food for ourselves. So what food power politics, particularly in the 60s, did to shape the future of Mississippi following the Civil Rights Movement was that it created this, this new rubric of communities thinking about how do we feed ourselves? How do we create our own food systems, then creating our own food that we can produce, and then eventually cook it ourselves? Uh, it reignited a movement of people looking forward to growing their own food, whether through issues of food justice or food sovereignty movements. And when I say food justice, I'm talking about the ways in which particularly uh, black communities and other marginalized communities have used food and agriculture as vehicles to address inequalities both inside the food system and outside the food system. How persistent do you think these issues are in modern day? I know if you've seen the news, Mississippi's governor recently just chose to opt out of a summer food program for school students. Uh, we've seen local communities start to come together in more ways, especially in urban areas, to try to start community gardens in different ways to address food deserts. So I guess are these issues that have continued since that time or are these a, a new wave or do you think they are just disconnected completely? I think that it's both a continuation but also a new wave because particularly in the civil rights movement, it was the, these regional political moves. So you had a county board of supervisors, and you also had maybe some regional boards that played a role in impacting the political realm of 
particular regions of the states. But when we think about today, when we think about states like Mississippi, but also states, I'm from Texas, so states like Texas as well, who also decided not to take the summer aid uh, to feed particularly students. I see this, again, as being a way that food is being used as a weapon against communities. And when I say weapon here, I'm saying that this is a food program that is needed in a place like Mississippi, which is ranked as one of, is always ranked as one of the poorest states, but also as one of the most food insecure states. So this federal food aid that was coming for next summer would play a major role in feeding people who otherwise would not have food. But instead of taking this food aid, the state decides they don't want to take the food aid. So this becomes a huge political issue because the state makes decisions that impact a larger amount of people who had no input. So the Greenwood Food Blockade begins because the LaFleur County Board of Supervisors decides to dismantle a federal food program without taking into consideration how it impacts people. Fast forward to 2024, now we have states like Mississippi and Texas doing the same exact thing, but it looks different. Because the Greenwood Food Blockade only impacted a certain group of people in the county of LaFleur. Now you have a statewide program that's going to impact the entire state. And it's going to, and I could see it actually exacerbating issues of food insecurity across the state during the summertime because they don't have the type of aid they need to feed themselves. Bobby J. Smith II is author of Food Power Politics, The Food Story of the Mississippi Civil Rights Movement. He'll be speaking today at History is Lunch at the two Mississippi museums at noon in Jackson. Bobby, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.